0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. Today I'll be your host Jovan Lazo, and I'm here with my good buddy Sean. And today we have a very, very, very special guest, Dr. Heidi Hoopengarner. How are you today?
1: Hi, it's so nice of you to invite me. This is my very first podcast interview and I'm very <laughs> excited. Thank awesome. you to Joven and Sean um, cool. for inviting me.
0: Of course. And um, you're welcome. I'm super excited to have you here. And we met at a networking conference so today's episode is going to be about academia and networking and so just to kind of start off could you kind of introduce yourself to the audience to our listeners
1: sure my name is Heidi Hoopengartner and um, I did my undergraduate studies at USF and at University of Florida in Gainesville. And then I did pharmacy school at Nova Southeastern University in South Florida. And that gave me a lot of opportunities for great rotational experiences um, down in South Florida and other places as well. And then I chose Texas, check, in Houston, Texas, for my residency. To, I went to Texas Children's Hospital, um, which was, again, a fabulous facility for learning And I engulfed myself um, in a pediatric pharmacotherapy residency, uh, which I completed. And then my first job that I took professionally, um, it was a toss-up between Texas Children's as their pulmonary um, specialist or a clinician um, position at Arnold Palmer Hospital in Orlando. And I decided to move back home to Florida. And I had um, a great career um, under the umbrella of Orlando Health. Practicing pediatric pharmacotherapy as a a pharmacy specialist at Arnold Palmer in a variety of areas. I think I worked almost every area except for NICU and that was on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) My residency was enough. (laughs) I don't blame you. If I can put a patient in my pocket, I choose not to have that patient. Got it. That's yeah. my rule of thumb. Um, but yes, it was a great time. And then, um, I retired from there and it was very interesting, um, networking, especially illustration. Um, I was sitting at home. I had been at home for about a year, um, with my newborn and not working. I had retired and I get a phone call one day, and it was very curious because I didn't know who this person was or why they were calling me and what the heck is going on. Well, come to find out, Dr. Pepler is the head of um, faculty at UCF College of Medicine, and he had practiced many, many, many moons ago Mm -hmm. at the University of Tennessee, which is a very progressive pharmacy environment as well. So his medical education um, had to do a lot with pharmacy interventions and working together as a team with pharmacists. And so he was very, very pro pharmacy. Then there was a position opening, um, at the College of Medicine for an instructor for pharmacotherapy. And somebody I had worked with at Arnold Palmer Hospital, um, Dr. Colleen Moran, she's a pediatrician. She had left, um, APH to go to UCF College of Medicine, and she gave my name and phone number apparently to Dr. Pepler. (laughs) So when he called me completely out of the blue, it was because of networking. It was because of networking he had experienced like 60 years prior in med school and in his residencies, and from my prior work experience and the relationships I developed um, in the working environment prior. So it goes to show that networking is very important, and you never know what's going to happen in the future. So now I am happily working at UCF College of Medicine, um, teaching pharmacology to first, second, third, and fourth year, all the students um, at the College of Medicine, and I absolutely adore it.
0: Awesome. And that's something that's completely different. And that's one of the reasons why I, I definitely wanted to reach out to you is because with academia, you know, we're always thinking about our teachers that are in pharmacy, but not in other professions that are pharmacists. So touching on that, how is that experience? Like, how is it? Have you ever taught pharmacy students at all? Yes. Yeah, uh, i kind of. Uh, yeah,
1: comparison? pharmacy students, um, medical. Yes. Okay. So as a clinician, I precepted. Many pharmacy students. I've taught at, um, UF, um, College of Pharmacy in Orlando when it was in Apopka and then now it's in Lake Nona. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that experience, but it's interesting going over to the College of Medicine because I'm the only one. So sometimes I feel a little lonely that I'm the only one, um, with the mentality that I have, but also being the only one, I have such a significant difference to bring, that dynamic is completely missing. So I have a lot to bring and it seems to be very well received by the students. So it makes it a win-win situation for me.
0: Awesome, and I think that's, I didn't know that you actually taught at our old campus, um, the APOPCA one. So I guess that kind of helps with building relationships with pharmacy students and um, with all the professors there to do some interprofessional collaborations, which um, I know we we currently have, So can you kind of talk about those experiences between um, some of the things that you do to kind of bring in pharmacy students and help with uh, teaching med students in their experience and help to move the profession of pharmacy forward?
1: Absolutely. I do feel very um, honored to be in that position to link so easily um the different professions medical and pharmacy specifically i found in teaching medical students that their concept of pharmacology is focused on the mechanism of action they want to know to the nth degree how does this medication work and why does it work something that pharmacy students learn is more of the formulations the dosage administration of these products i think of these as more practical considerations and so when i was in my clinical position i would have pharmacy students and pharmacy residents and i would use them to convey that information to both the medical students and the medical residents on the team and so that everybody worked together as a team and i also think that the focus in med school might be more of like an island type of mentality because they're learning all these things from professors to be a good position, mm. which is great. And I want them to be a good position, but I also want them to know that they're part of a bigger team. They are not an island. They have um, allied healthcare professionals that are well-groomed and well-educated to work with them to produce enhanced patient care.
0: Definitely. so. I feel like you probably noticed that there was like a gap in that since you mentioned that they're kind of left alone on an island and you probably realize that. that's probably why you're such a big fan of a professional collaboration and probably helping us by instilling that with the med students that, hey, you can rely on others to help you with the accessory information as far as, like you said, pharmacy formulations and maybe even dosage, those um, different dosages as well.
1: Absolutely. And the medications that they typically learn for the boards mm-hmm. are a little, from my perspective, a little maybe behind the times, maybe not current mm-hmm. practice guidelines. Because, of course, in order to develop questions, they're highly developed questions, um, and they take a while to go through the process to make it to the exam. So in that lag time, I feel like there's so many more interventions as far as pharmacotherapy um, that they may not be exposed to. So that's something I try to bring to them is a more um, realistic practical application um, to the pharmacotherapy, which is my focus. Um, there are other professors there that are pharmacologists, so PhDs in pharmacology that bring more of the mechanistic um, component to it. So it's nice that we have a variety of professors there um, to kind of have those different perspectives to give to the students.
0: And have have the students been very receptive to that? Yes. <laughs> That's good to hear. So Some of the
1: students are very focused on the test. These are like professional mm-hmm. students and then pharmacy school too. I do think pharmacy, Students te- seem to be a little um, lighter um, mm-hmm. and not as heavy, um, but medical students are very heavy and bogged down in student success, being a successful student, passing the different tests that are required for their licensure, and not necessarily broadening that focus to say, hey, I want to be an excellent position one day, and I may need to know more information or different information than what I'm studying for the test so sometimes students that haven't come to this realization have um a problem with mm-hmm. <laughs> a problem, but they prefer other professors that are a little bit uh, more focused just on the on the <laughs> which would be the test that they take
0: okay, and that makes sense because, like you said, I know. I don't know how many tests they take, but I know it's a lot more than us. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand if they wanted to be focused on that because it's such a limited amount of time and they have to know so much information. Schooling is very expensive. They have to, you know, pass these boards, these exams to move on to the next year, correct?
1: Correct. Absolutely. Like,
0: you no, know, they're going to be held back. So I could completely understand why they would want to do that. But touching on that, do you think is that maybe one of the reasons I know some med schools have kind of switched to, instead of a grade, to like a pass-fail? Do you think that kind of has played a role into that transition?
1: Absolutely. I think it's a very good thing because um, what I've noticed with the med students, again, they are professional students, very smart, um, and they are used to getting good grades. So if they get an 89 on a test, there is a lot of... um displeasure (laughs) with themselves about that. I think they might be free from that if it's pass-fail. And then they can focus more on um, the legitimacy of their education, meaning it is a step. It is not the end-all be-all for this one particular test. It is one small step in them becoming an excellent physician.
0: Uh, I could actually relate to that because I think it was my last three or four semesters at UCF I had a 4.0 and then going to pharmacy school and not getting straight A's I kind of felt like a failure (laughs) so I can only imagine like I'm sure med students have probably were getting like 4.0s or close to it the entire time in undergrad and also like high school and then now you're going to a situation where it's like the first time you see a B and you're just like oh my gosh like I am not succeeding like this can't be, like, I have to change this. And I could definitely see uh, see an issue with that and how that could make things difficult for them.
1: Exactly. And that is a very real part of med school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I think the pass-fail thing is a good idea. That's my own perspective.
0: Do you think that'll, I know we're transitioning to pharmacy, but do you think that'll, um, or do you think that'll transition to pharmacy?
1: I see a lot of similarities between med school and pharmacy school, honestly. Mm The first big change that I saw was learning by system. So before, back in the dark ages of pharmacy school, um, we would just,
0: (laughs) (laughs) um,
1: we would learn by course. So we would learn, um, Mm -hmm. and now it's by system, right? Which makes it all kind of relevant. Mm -hmm. Correct.
0: I think so. I think it, I mean, I didn't go through that previous experience, but I like the way it's organized now.
1: So in med school, it's the same. So it started in med school, and then it transitioned to pharmacy school. So when I first started teaching med school, pharmacy school was still teaching per course. So you would learn all your pharmacology together. You would learn all your pharmacotherapeutics together. Um, and med school was different for me, a different type of teaching because it was all integrated. But I loved it because I just popped in and out of different modules teaching about the, the medications. So they would learn um, the pulmonary system and then I would jump in and talk about inhalers or whatever. Um, and I thought that that was a more comprehensive, more logical way to teach. And then a few years later, that transitioned to the way pharmacy school is taught. So I think that there are a lot of similarities and I think it may transpire to be pass fail, you know, like they'll try it out in the med school and see how it works. And yes. then if it is, um, effective as a strategy, I think absolutely it could move to pharmacy education.
0: Is UCF pass fail?
1: Um, for med for school. For the med school, yeah. Uh, no, it's transitioning.
0: Transitioning, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wasn't sure enough because I know my sister. She's she's a well, she's a resident now, but she was in like school med school, and um, I think her school was past hail, so that's why I was wondering.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where okay. we are in the process.
0: Got it. So, from teaching these um med students, uh, first year to fourth year students, what have you kind of learned from them to help you be a better pharmacist and a better teacher?
1: This goes, uh, this is a good life lesson. So if you're not listening, listen now. Everybody,
0: we need to make like, Sean, can you, can you put in like some, uh, some special sounds? Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> yes. Have, like a siren just going but, on. Yeah, put a siren in or something like that. Everybody has to focus in and listen because it's about the gems that you have to
1: drop. A life lesson. Whenever you're teaching and, um, anybody know mm-hmm. your audience. So as pharmacists, we have been enveloped in this mindset, but that is not the mindset of other healthcare professionals. So find out what their focus is, and that will help you convey relevant information to them. Don't go in and talk about um, mechanism of action to the nth degree to a nurse that has to give a medication. If you're doing education to a nurse, you are going to talk about administration of the medications. That is their focus. Not that they don't care about mechanism of action, um, they but they are more focused on the administration. So you want to make your education very relevant and more effective. So learn your audience and what they need. Know their struggles and then help fill in the gaps. And that will provide excellent education. So whether that's respiratory therapy education or um, medical education or nursing, there are so many healthcare providers, dietitians, everybody that we come in contact with has a different perspective. So if you're assuming your own mentality, then you're going to miss the mark. So you have to find out what their perspective is and what is important to them.
0: Thank you for that. And so is there, is there, um, I mean, if you want to share, uh, do you have a preference between med students and pharmacy students as far as teaching?
1: I think because I'm all by myself at um, UCF med school, I get super excited when I go to like my own people. <laughs> I get very excited, um, especially since I don't have a clinical practice right now um i i do miss the pharmacy collaboration because i feel like they're more fun people (laughs) okay Um, i just have a um a special connection i guess Mm -hmm. with pharmacy because i've known since i was in seventh grade that i was going to be a pharmacist and from 12th grade i knew i would be a pediatric pharmacotherapist like i just knew Um, This is who I was meant to be. And so I really have a fondness for pharmacy students. But having said that, I love my med students because Mm -hmm. I provide, um, I think I provide refreshment to their souls, not only with the material, but how I deliver it is very unique. And I think they do appreciate that. And I love the relationship that I have with them. It's just very different.
0: And I think you you touched a good point as far as um, a different mentality, like how you display information, because I've noticed that, too, with new teachers that we've had, whether in our second or third year, that it's refreshing to do things different, refreshing to do things in our active learning sessions. Like, I think, I don't know if it was Dr. Allen that started, like, the Kahoot question, where we just had a class where we just answered Kahoot questions, like, rapid fire, like, how fast can we, like, fast switch thinking and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is fun. This is a change of pace. And it's like, you know, we enjoy those things. So that's that's a really good point. Yeah, I can see them enjoying that with you.
1: So what I normally do is I tell them, you know, you have to do the learning objectives Mm -hmm. at the beginning of a lecture. And then so the way I structure it is I tell them what I'm going to teach them. Then I teach them and then I assess their understanding of the material before I even leave the room. Well, assuming I'm in the room virtually, <laughs> I can't do it via Zoom. So what I choose mm-hmm. to do at the end is a different kind of game format. So I haven't used Kahoot, but they do have like little clickers. And uh, so some- okay. that's finger thing, mm-hmm. or we'll do um, a Family Feud game, or we'll do Jeopardy or name that drug. And I'll mm-hmm. put up like, um, or a Pictionary um, type of game, so I like to do an interactive experience to assess their understanding. Um, and they also like that med students love practice questions, like all practice questions. So I'll try and roll a few um, practice questions throughout the lecture to help them, and then do the game at the end as an interactive experience. So it's fun because sometimes they'll just like piece out if it's not holding their attention. Um, as a student, I think you understand, <laughs> yes, yes, <I> can <laughs> but if it's a game, it makes it fun and then they can play with other people. And sometimes I throw candy at them if they win. Sometimes. So yes, one of my favorite things in February are the heart-shaped brownie batter filled donuts at Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know if you've experienced this, yes. heck, my goodness. Yes, I have. So if I teach in the month of February, you're getting donuts. Whether that's pharmacy school or med school, wherever I teach. Sean,
0: Sean, is it too late to switch? (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna have to stop by (laughs) in February. It's two months away. I'm gonna have to stop by. (laughs)
1: I'll let you know.
0: (laughs) Awesome, thank you. Um, all right, so yeah, thank you so much for that. And then, so let's kind of transition to networking. So. I personally really enjoyed your um, seminar at SOAR. Um, for those listening that don't know, that don't go to U, um, UF. It's a student organizational annual retreat. So it's a annual event that we have every year where a lot of student orgs just get together. And sometimes we have some guest speakers. And that's where I met Dr. Hoopengarner. And I was just wondering if you could kind of share some of the information that um, you related to everybody at that event.
1: Sure. I love this event. This was a very well done event. Student okay. leadership put it on and it was very impressive. This is my first time speaking at SOAR and I loved it. I thought it was very professionally done and it was a great experience. So thank you um, for attending my workshop because I saw the lineup and I had fierce competition for my yes, time she
0: slot. She did. Um, she was, at, uh, oh, and they might feel some type of way. Uh, <laughs> hopefully Dr. Miller, and Dr. Curtis Stowe, um, cause I love them, but yeah, they had an event at the same time. And I think also the Oscar, Dr. Oscar Santiago, I think also had like a MBA um, PharmD MBA event as well. So you were in some fierce competition, but you had a very packed room and there was a line out the door to talk to you afterwards. So people listened. People listening, please tune in. Cause obviously, if you have a line to just say hello to you after you gave a speech, that means you are great at what you do. So, yes. it did
1: seem like a receiving line for like my wedding or something. <laughs> it, <was awesome. laughs>
0: it really was. It really was. And I was in line. <laughs>
1: that was awesome. And everybody was waiting very patiently yeah. and it was great. Um, okay. Yes. So one of the important tips, um, that I conveyed during that and I fully believe in is never pass on an introduction. So something that I learned since I was very early in knowing that I wanted to be a pharmacist, my mom actually helped, um, set me on this path and it was a great strategy that I wanted to share with everybody. Um, not that you have to know what you're going to do in life when you're like, I don't know how old that would be. In life. 14 or something. I don't know. Um, but even in pharmacy school, this will work for you too. So what my mom did is said, Oh, okay, well you think you want to be a pharmacist. All right, let's expose you to different types of pharmacy. I know I go to pick up my prescriptions at this mom and pop. I lived in a very small town, um, mom and pop type of pharmacy. I'm just going to call him up and say, Hey, can my daughter come sit with you for an afternoon and see what you do? And he said, "Sure." And so I went and I sat on a little stool and I watched him fill prescriptions and talk to patients and talk on the phone and do all kinds of stuff. And um, I'm not sure they had computers back then. Maybe it was a typewriter. I don't know. Maybe it was like MS-DOS system. I don't know. But uh, (laughs) but he was doing a lot of things back there and I got to learn and I was kind of interested, but I was like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not really sure this is for me, but this is interesting. You know, let's keep exploring. So then my aunt was a nurse in the hospital and said, oh, well, I know a pharmacist that works in the hospital. I'll call the director of pharmacy at the hospital and see if I can get you an appointment with him. So I did. So I went and I sat with him for an afternoon and he gave me a tour and I was like, whoa, are you kidding me? This is amazing. So then I got a job there um, in the pharmacy. And then I was like a pharmacy technician and I ran medications all around. I got to see the IV room. I got to see, and because I was interested in the professional pharmacy, the pharmacists were so nice to me and they would take me aside and show me things. Like I remember they would take a sustained release tablet and run it under the water to dissolve the coating on the outside and show me the matrix and how it worked. To diffuse the medication out, um, and that they were different types of matrixes with the different types of um, sustained release products and mm-hmm. controlled delivery. And I just, and then if there was a compounding something, they would call me over and be like, Heidi, come over here, let's compound this today. And I'm like, what is triturate? I don't know what that is. But then I we were there, I was with the mortar and pestle like triturating, and like <laughs> I was doing it. Um, and so I, my And then I went to pharmacy school and then I was like, okay, hospital pharmacy is for me, but I don't know what type. So when I was at, I mentioned that I did undergraduate at USF and they have Moffitt Cancer Center there. So I just did what my mom did. I called the hospital. I said, can I talk to the pharmacy manager? And I said, hey, I'm interested in pharmacy school. Can I come tour your hospital? And he did. He showed me everything, rolled out the red carpet. And I was like, thanks. This is not what I want to do. And then I went to UF and um, called the pharmacy um, person there. And I was like, I think I want to try pediatric pharmacy. So I got a hold of the pediatric specialist at UF Shands and met with her. And I had my aha moment, like the heavens opened, the angels descended, Heidi Hooping you were meant to do pediatrics because these are your people. So not only were the kids on my own level, like mentally, um, I could have fun with them. And it was very, very interesting um, pharmacologically because there aren't a lot of studies on kids. And so you really have to take what you know of pediatric metabolism at different ages and pharmacotherapy, what you know in adult medicine, and put it together. And it was very interesting to me and very intellectually stimulating. So I was like, that's it. So then, when I went to pharmacy school at Nova Southeastern, and I took all of the pediatric electives I could. I did Maine Children's. I like tapped out. I, I would go tour all these different um, hospitals, children's hospitals down there. Um looking for information, and then, when I went to a s a h p mid year of course, I'd be talking to all the people, so it's just getting out there and talking to people, and that's how I found um Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, which was amazing and um and then I just got wrapped into there, so it this whole trajectory started with initiating a relationship or just picking up a phone and calling somebody and saying, hey, can I come visit? So all of this happened um, to me, and it happens to people every day, if they have the initiative to just get themselves out there. Don't be afraid because you're going to be received with open arms um, because pharmacists love to encourage other pharmacists and help them find their niche. So you're going to be found with open arms if you just have, don't be afraid just have the initiative to just get yourself out there um, and make an introduction to somebody, never pass on an introduction and keep everybody's business card. Cause you never know 20 years later, you're going to be like, Oh, who was that person I met at ASHP? And I remember their business card had blah, 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 but I threw it away. Okay. Never throw it away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause those relationships come back. Um, you know, could be 20, 30 years from now. So, um, relationships are definitely important. So, establish them, nurture them, um, and don't burn bridges. Important. Yeah. So, important. not everybody in pharmacy is pleasant to work with. And so, you will have those times where you have differences of opinion, and maybe you meet a completely horrid person. Mm-hmm. It is possible, never ever, ever, ever talk about them where other people can hear in a displeasing mm-hmm. way because that will get back to them and it will come back to bite you in the butt. Say you're interviewing for c e o of Walgreens or something like that. The person you sit with to be in the interview might be that person <laughs> it will come back so. Do what you need to do to diffuse the situation so you don't engage in arguments with people professionally. I mean, differences of opinion, certainly. But yeah. never be rude um, and just walk away if you have to, because any, bur- any burnt bridge will come back to haunt you, I promise. Oh, and I had this great example, too. I was on an airplane and I was talking to somebody about pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And I did not know it until the next day when they were sitting in a residency interview booth that I signed up to a time slot to interview with them, that they were interviewing me. They were a pharmacist. Okay, FYI, they could have told me that on the plane. <laughs> <screen.
0: laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But they didn't, and so come to find out, they were a residency director at some children's hospital that I went and signed up for an interview, and there they were. So you never know who's sitting on the plane. You don't know who's at the restaurant. You don't know who's at the nightclub, for crying out loud. I mean, they're everywhere, and pharmacy is such a small world. Um, just keep that in mind.
0: Yes, and then that's something that I always try to express. Um, Sean and I are both Syrian ambassadors, so, um, we have mentees. And with our, um, mentees, we kind of just let them know that it's very important to be careful what you're saying on campus. Like, I always try to tell them that I don't care if you're in the parking lot. Try to be as professional as possible because you never know who is coming around the corner. And I told someone this, this was, she was a first year student. I'm not going to say her name because I don't know if she wants me to, (laughs) but she's a first year student or was a first year student. And she told me literally like two days after we had that conversation, she talked about something inappropriate and then a professor walked by and then she just felt so bad. And then she was like, all right, I'm listening to you from now on. I was like, yes, please. I'm trying to help you. And so that's why I go even a step further. My personal rule of thumb is to never talk bad about anybody. If it's in a in professional, not only in a professional setting, but if I have a professional relationship with them, to never talk bad about them. Now, I might just, I might give like hints of signs like, oh, I have no comment or I, I'm i not a fan of that person. But that's about the extent that I go. Just because you never know how someone will take that. You could burn bridges with a friend. But you never know. So that's like my personal rule of thumb that I always try to practice by. And people will tell you, like, I never talk bad about anybody. Even if they talk bad about me, like, I just don't do it. That's not the way I operate.
1: That is a very hard thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. I am a person, I am an extrovert, so I love to vent. Like, I need to vent. So I have safe people that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that I talk to. But you're right, like in the parking lot, right after something happens, you just want to, like, talk yeah. about it or whatever. That is not a safe space. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely correct. So even if you do need to vent about your experience, um, pick a safe place and safe mm-hmm. people to talk to, um, and to protect yourself, because absolutely, that's a great illustration, Jovan. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome.
1: And And my sister is a big introvert, so I just, I did include in my presentation tips for introverts because I am not one. So I had to pick my sister's brain about how it works, and then I came up with some tips, and the students who attended the presentation really, really liked the introverts. They really, really liked those tips because networking is so often thought of as an extroverted sport, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, my tips for the introverts um, are to seek out common interests with other people. So if you have a common interest or a common activity that you enjoy or um, tours or trips or whatever, meet those people on a platform in an environment that you feel comfortable and you have an interest in. And that helps it um, become more organic in the connections that you're forming and less painful. And after you've made a connection, the introverts are really, really good. um, If you take time to recharge after networking and just process, Um, time spent recharging can still be productive. You can email them and say, thank you for meeting with me or thanks for taking me on a tour. I really enjoyed it. Um, Send them a note, like a handwritten note, or send them an email or a text message Um, Use that time to reflect upon the connections that you made and document those relationships and those connections in a way where you can use them in the future or that you have them as a resource for the future. Um, You can still carry momentum forward in the comfort of your own space. So I want both extroverts and introverts to feel empowered to be proactive about making these networking connections.
0: And that is true. I do remember uh, some usually very quiet classmates being very, 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 uh, they were cheering you on, <laughs> you were preaching <laughs> to them, and, and um, you know what's interesting? One of our professors, we actually had a conversation about this afterwards. She was like, "I've never seen that student talk that much in his whole." like time at school because he kept asking you questions and speaking to you and so she was just shocked by that she's like have you i was like no i was like he was completely relating to you so yeah it was a it was an awesome presentation definitely
1: again Um, you have to know your target audience so i knew there would be extroverts and introverts there and so i didn't know how the introverted mind works so again it goes back to know your audience and do your research. So I picked my sisters as an introvert mm-hmm. and um, asked her. So I did my research and I was able to um, effectively provide some education to them. So that just goes back to know your audience.
0: Mm-hmm. And then kind of to kind of put you on the spot here, since a lot of us are going to be um, applying for whether it's residencies, fellowships, um, even job interviews, um, whether it's community, whatever the case may be, hospitals. It seems like a lot of interviews may be virtual. Um, as far as like our, our we just had mid year and mid year was virtual. So, just in case this does happen next year, do you have like any recommendation for networking virtually?
1: Yeah, I think you guys are very, very adept. Um, like, make sure your lighting is good, make mm-hmm. sure you have full light, make sure that your computer platform shows you at an, at a, um, personable angle, that you're not too far away, but you're not too close. Pay attention to your surroundings. Are you um, conveying a professional image about your environment? Make sure you limit distractions um, behind you because every single thing they are judging. So what they um, taught me, and I was very appreciative in pharmacy school before we went to interview, they said every part from the time you leave your house, is an interview. So the time spent on the plane, you don't know who's watching you. When you're getting your luggage off the rack, somebody may be there to meet you and may be watching you. They may send a resident to come get you in the car. That conversation you have with the resident in the car, they are evaluating you. You know, when you eat lunch with them, they are evaluating you. And so I would say the same rules translate virtually, that they see what environment you're in, um, and that they are judging you, and um, if you convey yourself professionally, if you dress well, if you have good lighting, you have professional environment, minimize those distractions, you're going to come off very professional, and they are interviewing more than what you say. They're taking in all of those things.
0: All right. Thank you. No, that's very helpful. Um, also, to add on, I think I read something that said to also look into the Like the, the camera on your laptop. So that way it looks like you're looking directly at them because depending on if you're doing it through Zoom or something, it's virtual. It might, you're looking at, you're looking at them on your screen, but your eyes aren't exactly looking towards them. So that's another, um, good tip. I remember reading somewhere. I don't know if it was online or something you left gave
1: us. That is also excellent. Yes. Mm -hmm. And to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, have notes, have things that, they know that you have prepared for this interview mm-hmm.
0: definitely all right thank you so much for that
1: yeah um, of course
0: one, one other thing i wanted to say when you mentioned the business card i remember you um you told us i actually started keeping uh, a little ziploc bag full of index cards since since um since you gave that speech and something i remember you also said mm-hmm. is to write on the back of the index card like where you met them and like what conversation you had with them. And I think that's very helpful to also recall who they are just in case you don't email them to follow up. But to write that down. And so that's something that I've been doing. So thank you for that great tip. And I wanted to make sure I say that on here.
1: You're welcome. That is a very good tip. Um and I'm glad you're doing that.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I mean if someone's gonna teach me something great, I'm not gonna just not apply the knowledge. Hey so. Joven,
1: do I have a do I have a card? Is mm-hmm. there a card with my name on it?
0: Yes. There is.
1: Or there will be today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, there is. There is. There is. Uh, I have a card. Um, I do have your card. I'm not at my house right now, but I do have a card.
1: Otherwise, okay. I'll and Sean, I should. You should have a card for me too. Because you have both been amazing helpers <laughs> to me with interprofessional education. So the listeners may not know, but both of you were proactive and did initiate a response to an interprofessional activity that we do, um, well, we used to do every year with the med students where I had this practical pharmacy. Remember I told you that the practical application part of pharmacy was not a strength of the med students in the first two years, so that when they go out the last two years to actually see patients, there's quite a gap in their education. So, what better profession to come and fill in that gap, but pharmacy students, because that is your forte. And so I invited um, students in, and it started with like, I don't know, three or four pharmacy students, and then it grew. I think the year that you helped me, there were like 20 pharmacy students, and we were able to do so much more. And so they, the med students would rotate through these different stations. And I think, Sean, you were helping with administration, like tricky administration, um, like type of devices. Um, insulin, and so forth. And then we had another administration table um, with maybe oral medications, and then we had med history. And um, so we had a whole bunch of, and that was very well received. So the med students would rotate from station to station, drug information, um, all these things, prescription writing, and learn all these tips from pharmacy students and they loved it so now i have kind of converted that um, into a virtual learning activity i have created a um, two-week elective for them so what happens with med school is that interviewing is like next level so they will spend literally six weeks traveling around the country (laughs) interviewing at different places because they have to go through the match um and it's a very serious um, type of process. So just think of like what you experience in pharmacy school. And then it's like up a couple levels from that. So what they want at UCF College of Medicine, of course, is to keep those students engaged in education, but make it virtual so that as they're flying around the country, interviewing at different places, they can still engage in education. So this two-week elective fills that need, but it also provides like the stuff that um, Joven and Sean used to help me with in those rotations. And so um, Joven actually helped me prepare something on um, pharmacogenetics um, and genomics um, for them. And so I have put his education into my elective. Hey, <laughs> and I'm super excited about that. I love mentoring projects. I love IPE activities. Um, so if there are any listeners out there that are interested and helping develop some virtual content um, in that regard. Uh, and it's called Insights into the Medication Use Process. And so because it is virtual, we can just, it's a living, breathing thing. I can put stuff in, take stuff out. Um, and so in there, I have taken like Sean's station and <laughs> made like uh, Zoom versions of like
0: breakout the- rooms. Within the Zoom? Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I had a little Zoom background of like a pharmacy in the background. And I was like, welcome to Dr. Hoop and Harry's Pharmacy. Today we're learning about oral tablets. And look at this. This disintegrates and this doesn't. And so I would show them on the camera. And so um, I felt like the Swedish chef sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so um i'm sure if anybody wanted to redo any of those videos <laughs> you'll let them <laughs> uh, i would let you see them first of course and then uh sure. you can do better um or if you had something like you um Joven, you were particularly interested in mm. the pharmacogenomics section mm. so that these projects as pharmacy students are so so valuable on your um cv mm. so valuable um, so if you are listening and you're interested, um, please contact me and I'd be happy to help you either with your own project or if you want to help me develop something, um, for the virtual elective on the medication use process. The whole point of that is to help them. They're used to learning the prescribing part, mm-hmm. which is their part, and the monitoring part at the end. So the beginning and the end of the med use process is what they are learning. And what I want to try and do is fill in the middle part. So what does, um, what happens to the order once the physician puts it in the computer? So I went to a pharmacy, Memorial Hospital let me go in with a camera crew. And so I dropped a 360 degree camera in the IV room. So it recorded 360 degrees in the IV room over 15 minutes. And so I popped that into the virtual um, the elective and so they can go in and with their mouse they can scroll around the IV room and see everybody's role um and you can see the technician and how they scan stuff in and then the pharmacist and um then I recorded somebody in the ante room doing all of the garbing and and de- the gowning and degowning and I included that as a separate video so they could just see why it may take longer to get an IV medication up to the floor um, so if they're just so they can understand the pharmacy bill area, I'm still waiting on contracts to go through um with um either Publix or Walgreens so I can drop a camera in a retail pharmacy, but that is a struggle.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure
1: legality. I even know the president of Walgreens pharmacy, man. I went to pharmacy school with him.
0: No.
1: Wow. <laughs> their legal department oh is uh wow. Yeah. Have you, have they you just you try, have to like, do PIPA, they just want to keep their okay. patients safe.
0: so yeah, I was gonna say, have you tried like any independent pharmacies too?
1: No, I really kind of wanted to convey the hustle and bustle of a retail environment okay. because whatever I convey to the med students is what they're gonna think retail pharmacy is So So
0: um, I just wanted
1: to um, um, I just wanted to convey actual retail um mm-hmm. environment and so i was really kind of hoping for a faster moving um target for that yeah okay. so i'm still waiting on that um but yeah okay. it's a project in process
0: in process all right yeah. and so what is the best way for people to contact you regarding the insights to medication use process if they want to help out volunteer or maybe they have some ideas they, they would like to share with you?
1: that would be amazing. I am interested in new ideas and innovation. And I have to say it's a luxury I have at University of Central Florida College of Medicine because of Dr. Pepler. He has put me in a great position that I can innovate and um, develop stuff. So I am very grateful for the position that I have. Um, So I welcome insight and perspectives from other people. If you are one of those people, you can email me at heidi.hoopengartner at gmail.com. So if you can't spell hoopengartner, can <laughs> contact me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll make sure to put in our show notes so that way, um, whenever they see the description of what this episode is about, they'll, they'll have your email right there in there and hopefully they can spell it correctly.
1: Okay. Two O's, one P. Yes.
0: <laughs> and, um, awesome. you, so- I
1: was, I was a Smith before I was a Hoopin Garner, so that was a big transition.
0: Maybe. Life became more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it. All right, and um, awesome. So just to kind of wrap things up, uh, basically, when it comes to networking, I feel a lot of us overthink it, and it's very simple. You kind of simplify things. Just go with a simple introduction, especially if you're an extrovert. Just a simple introduction. Um, be respectful, get a business card, keep it, um, write down maybe when and where you met them. So that way you can always keep that in your memory whenever, um, a person says they met you from somewhere or if there's someone that you wanted to reach out that you haven't yet, if you didn't send a follow up email and to, and for the, and to just establish a relationship and kind of nurture that and maybe keep in touch. Would you say like every three months or half a year?
1: It depends. Cause. Like if you're, you could go years without speaking to somebody. And that is why it's important to take notes um, because you'll be like, Oh, I remember that person, but I haven't seen them in 10 years. Oh my gosh. I don't remember their name. Let me go through my little cards and then you can like trigger um, something. So you don't want to annoy people by following up too much either. If you are ongoing in a project with somebody, then of course, keep like good, constant communication. But if you're not actively engaged, then just keep those note cards handy for the next time where you may need somebody. Um, Because you may be working on a project in the future and you're like, oh, I remember I met so-and-so. Let me pull up their card and then I'll contact them and see if they're interested in doing this project with me.
0: Thank you. And then for the introverts, um, seek common interests. Make sure, uh, take, you can take time to recharge, but when you do that, try to be effective with it. So you can still be productive. Um, you can either write um, a handwritten note, and email, document the relationship that um, you developed with this person and the interests that you guys have in common, just in case if you would like to get in contact with them later. And then the big, big thing is be proactive. So um, I think that's with anything in life, as long as you're being proactive, um, you'll start to see some rewards from it. So be proactive, take action. You'll definitely see some rewards from that. And then, Sean, is there anything else we're missing? Anything else you want to add on? Know your audience was a big one. Yes, yes, key, big key. Know your oh, audience. It has to be the title of. Absolutely- <laughs> I was like, this you meant- all together. The- I was thinking that too. I was like, oh, that's definitely the title. <laughs> yeah. So, know your audience too. Very important to know your audience. Um, Whether you're teaching, presenting something um anything anything know your audience know, know your surroundings be aware of everything that's going on and with that um once again like she said if anybody's interested in the insights to the medication use process being involved in that we'll go ahead and put everything in the show notes so heidi.hoopengarner at gmail.com correct mm-hmm. cool. okay so we'll, we'll include that into the show notes and um one correction let i made an error it's Oscar Santolo, Doctor Oscar Santolo. I said Santiago. I mixed two different people up, but yeah. So Doctor Oscar Santolo, yeah, you're in great competition, and your turnout will be very impressive. So, listen to her tips. Um, great insight. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited. We're finally able to get you. It's been been a process. You're such a busy person, and uh, but I'm so glad we're able to finally get you in.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know a pharmacy student schedule especially amongst these um, very fluid times, Good. is problematic. So thank you for doing this podcast. And I hope that people have maybe learned a couple of tips that they, when they're presenting an in-service on a rotation, or maybe they are just um, thinking about maybe reaching out, that maybe they would feel encouraged now um, mm-hmm. to reach out and make those connections now, um, today, right now, leave <laughs> now. Don't do yes, it.
0: yes, motivate them, <laughs> push them right now. I love it. I love it. Yes. And that's, that's another thing. It's like, we'll hear something and we'll wait on it, but like, don't wait. Be proactive. Definitely do it now. Why wait?
1: And don't be afraid because people, nine times out of 10, they're going to be like so overwhelmingly welcoming. Um, it's not as bad as what you think.
0: Definitely. I agree with that. So thank you again for coming on. Um, it's been a pleasure. Super excited to finally have you. And I'm sure a lot of people learned a lot of great information. And if,
1: if they're still listening by now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sure they are. And do you know if SOAR is happening this year or not?
1: I have not heard.
0: Okay. Because I didn't know if you were doing another presentation, so that's why I wanted to ask. Just
1: I have know. not been asked, no. Okay.
0: Mm-mm. Okay. But, um. okay. And then, um, you know, definitely let us know if you ever have, like, anything that's can be presented to, to us. Because we also have a social media platform. So on Instagram, we could always post something on Facebook, maybe if you're giving like a seminar somewhere where people can like tune in. So we can definitely do that. And um, I'm sure a lot of people tune in listen, and gain a lot of great insight from it. Well, so I thanks. hope
1: so. We all have information to share. It's all definitely. about sharing it with each other.
0: Definitely. So thank you so much. Um, everybody that's listening, if you haven't already, please go ahead, like, and subscribe us we're on Facebook. Um, Instagram, we're Capsule Production. So search for us on Instagram, Capsule Production. Um, we're still doing the the Tester Knowledge Thursdays, we're still posting those quizzes. Um, they're just quick one-question quizzes with four answers on the Instagram polls. You have about 10 seconds to answer it. So, um, And then we usually post afterwards uh, what the correct answer is and why. So definitely stay tuned for that. Um, we have some other content that will be coming out soon, so stay tuned for that as well. And... Let's see, anything else I'm missing? Oh, and then, um, follow us if you haven't already. You can follow us on Spotify. Remember some students didn't realize that we're on Spotify and Apple podcasts. So definitely just search for Capsule production podcast. You can go ahead and subscribe and just download our, our content automatically. So you don't have to keep going in to see when we drop. But, um, thank you again so much for being here, Dr. Gartner. Thank you, Sean, for, for joining in and helping me out today. And, uh, till next time. And, uh, Dr. Gartner, do you have any questions for us?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I love uh, it. off the hood. I <laughs> yeah. really love what okay. you're doing. Um, yeah, so you're being those proactive people that are going to be um, successful. And I am so proud of you. And I am so excited about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't wait to see what you do in the future. So I really hope that you stay in contact with me because I'm very curious. Um, to see what you do, and if I can help you um, in any way um, get to your next level, I would be um, willing to do that too. So, what are your next thoughts? That's my question.
0: Um, I usually make Sean go first, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to go first. first. I'll go first if he <laughs> wants. So no, 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 I'll go first. <laughs> yeah, so Sean can formulate a great response. All right, on the spot. So. Right now, um it's December, so we're we're both applying for residencies. So I'm interested in psychiatry and pharmacogenomics, so I'm basically focused on applying to sites that have those. But I did have a great time at Advent Health Celebration, that's where I did my block. And I found also a passion for transition to care. And so that's something that I've also kind of incorporated in and um they have that there, so I'll also be ranking fair AmCare, um, or I'll also be applying to the AmCare residency, even though they don't have a site or pharmacogenomic component. But so that's the next steps for me: is applying for a residency, hopefully matching, and then going from there. Either go do a PGY two in psych or try to do the UF PGY two in pharmacogenomics, because that's the that one's a bit. We, and we had a pharmacogenomics episode um, we released last season. But that one's more of what I'm into because it's some of them are more there's not there's only a handful. I think there's only four or five. But as far as the PGY2s and, and some of them are more research based and the uf one's kind of the whole component. So it's like research, how to start the business, building different things that you can incorporate into a hospital. And I think that'd be kind of cool because it's like I'm kind of my own boss in that sense. I'm kind of managing my own thing because I also thought about admin. But I don't think I could do that like now. I gotta be like way down the line. But um, yeah, so that's that's the next
1: step for me. I would definitely. I see how a PGY one and AM care could dovetail very nicely into uh, pharmacogenomics PGY two, mm-hmm. yes.
0: um,
1: because most of the data points that we have, the info that we have for pharmacogenomics, are AM care type yes. issues. Um, and that if you have the opportunity for UF, that's like one of the leading centers in the entire country, um, for that, that is going to be the best experience to set you up for a variety of futures.
0: Definitely. And that's the goal. That's the goal. And we'll see, we'll see how things play out and I'll keep in touch with you and keep you updated on everything.
1: That sounds awesome.
0: Gotta keep that index card up to date, Joven.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I definitely do. But um as for me, my current uh steps or progression. So my first rotation I had ICU at a Popka, which I absolutely loved and adored. It was very interesting situation to I guess see the management and like follow up on a lot of medication therapy of all the COVID patients. That was very really an experience that's very unique. I mean it's only this year that it's happened. Um, And I also got to experience, so all my other rotations after that, they had very strong ICU or trauma going on as well. And even though I wasn't necessarily doing an elective or a rotation in those fields, I made an effort to always make sure that I asked and I got time in those areas. So I sort of continued and furthered that passion that I found. Excellent. Yeah, so currently I am pursuing any critical care strong hospital for PGY-1 with the possibility for PGY-2, um, I did get to experience a lot of um, administration-based projects. My last rotation, because I was working with one of the, the clinical pharmacy managers, so that was very beneficial. So I think eventually I would want to get into administration. Um, that's something Jovan touched on, so we both share that same interest. And think Jovan would be great at that as well. Um So that's something I think that... I will be would, better, to be honest. But yeah, we'll be... I, I, don't I don't know about me. that. We'll see. We'll see. All the job the admin for sure. I'll be honest about that. In
1: my experience, the more effective and more respected pharmacy administration people are people who have knowledge, working knowledge of the clinical practice areas. Mm-hmm. So, don't rush that part of it because administration will always come to you. Even as a clinical specialist, they're going to turn to you to develop policies. They're going to turn to you for. Um, All kinds of administrative projects. Don't jump right into admin because it's going to come to you. I promise. (laughs) The projects. And if you have the clinical practice and then the experience of all the projects that come to you within that clinical practice, um, then you are going to be, um, set up for success as, um, a very, very valuable administrator and respected. You want your people to respect you. And that's not always. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So critical care is like your passion then. Have you had any, um, rotations at Orlando Health?
0: Um, I have not. I have an upcoming one. It's not ORMC, but it's another one of their campuses. I believe it's in a but I'm doing infectious disease rotation. So. Excellent. Yeah. But yeah, Excellent. ORMC, Celebration, um, Advent Health South. There's a couple of programs I'm going to be applying to for PGI1. Okay like that very strong Are you think local song with your applications or um i think for now i'm considering i mean i'm born and raised here i mean <laughs> i haven't really experienced any, anything else i mean i love it here but i'll have a few i'm definitely gonna apply to like um tampa bay general hospital and then mayo clinic in jacksonville there's a few in miami that look interesting but i haven't i need to do further research but yeah. I haven't looked anywhere out of state yet. What about you? Yeah, um uh, the University of Kentucky, they seem very interesting. Um I was able to meet them meet with one of the residents, Anna is her name, at the residency showcase the other day. And she was telling me, which I thought was really cool, is at at their site that for staffing hours you can staff in the site unit. So that counts as part of their staffing hours requirement. So I thought that was really cool and unique compared to some of the other programs that I've talked to and asked them about on um, staffing as well. So I thought that was pretty unique. You know, that's a passion of yours, something you're truly interested in. Why not try to gain as much experience in it as you possibly can? So um University of Kentucky, University of Michigan, I have to look again, because when I looked before they put up the information for the new program they had a rotation, an elective rotation in pharmacogenomics. So that's why I was really interested in that, because I've never, I haven't seen that in any other residency programs that I've looked at. But when I looked again, I think last week, I didn't see that elective rotation. So I wanted to reach out to see if that was something that was dropped or they just, something happened on the website or like what's going on. So that's something that, depending on that, I might apply, but I hate the cold. So I don't know if that's a good fit. (laughs) We'll that gives
1: up another good point, too, if they just had like one person, like one clinician there doing like critical care, for example, or the pharmacogenomics, and that person left, yeah. then that whole thing gets wiped out. Yeah. So, Sean, if you are looking at programs um, for critical care, make sure there are multiple critical care clinicians and experiences like trauma, ICU, um, lifelight, or um ambulances see if you could go on an ambulance ride or hop in the helicopter or you know like if you don't ask then you're definitely not going to get there um, and toxicology is another one um, find out who the board certified toxicologists are and um, where they are and then um, that would be a really good pgy1 experience if you have all of these um, Critical care and infectious disease you mentioned is another um, aspect that helps you support critical care. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I know that ORMC has a very very active trauma center. That's why I mentioned it. And Grady brought- Healthcare in Atlanta. I don't know if you want to go to Atlanta, but Grady is like the mecca of like the public health hospital <laughs> in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend that did a, a PGY-1 there, and she learned so much. It was a tough year. Okay, so this is another <laughs> thing. Don't look for the easy residency because yeah. it's only a year. Tough mm-hmm. it out, go hard, um, and then get that experience.
0: Yeah, and you brought up a good point because as far as uh, if it's only one person running it, because with the AmCare elective at Celebration, they send you like a formal email with everything that they do there. And one of the things listed was pharmacogenomics. So I was really excited that I was, I'd potentially be able to be a part of that. And then on my first day, they're like, Oh yeah, that pharmacist left. So we don't do that anymore. <laughs> and nobody wanted to pick up the project. So that's, that's a great point that to definitely look and try to see how many clinicians are part of that, um, program or that rotation. Cause once somebody leaves, then it's, if nobody wants to pick it up, then it's gone.
1: And you have six months lag time. So a lot can happen in those six months. Yeah. So, But if you have multiple practitioners, say you yeah. have one in psych and one in pharmacogenomics and one um, in like administration or whatever, like multiple rotations is what you're going to look for, a program that's going to be really strong in that area.
0: That's a great point. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to use that information and double check to see as far as some of the programs that have the ele- site elective rotation and see how many clinicians are actually involved because like you said it'll be what probably in June we start so in like six five six months from now and like you said a lot could happen They can switch jobs and if nobody picks it up and it's like okay I came here for this and it's not here anymore and now I just have to tough it out so that's that's a great point A lot of a lot of great insights, (laughs) always providing knowledge. And then any other questions for us? No. Okay. so I guess that's it. That'll that'll be our episode today. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Sean. And um, until next time, everybody.